My daddy's gone on, my grandpa's gone on, my great-grandpa's gone on. But they still live. You know, the, the spray is still here. Well, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Tell me of a home far away. Hi, everybody. Welcome to It Still Lives, the Foxfire podcast. I'm Cami Ahrens, one of your hosts. And today we're releasing a special bonus episode, kind of as an update on the COVID oral history project that we've been running since um, March. For this episode, we actually had the opportunity to interview Dakota Brown, who works over at the Museum of the Cherokee Indian. For those of you who aren't from the region, the Museum of the Cherokee Indian is a phenomenal museum that's situated on the Kuala Boundary, which is where the Eastern Band is based at. So Dakota is a Cherokee citizen, and during this conversation, she shares with us the specific um, and fairly aggressive measures that the Cherokee took to protect their people and their culture from the spread of the virus. Cherokee is in western North Carolina. It's actually the gateway to the southern part of the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. So Cherokee is an economy that's based heavily on tourism. Um, One of their main sources of income is actually the casino that's on their reservation. But they also have just an incredible number of tourists that go through every year on their way to the Smokies and stop on the boundary and visit their businesses. And so with the spread of the virus, Cherokee shut down its borders pretty immediately in order to protect their people. So Dakota shares with us some of her experiences during that time, shares with us some of the reasons that the Cherokee took such aggressive measures and talks a little bit about what's to come in the future. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us. Uh, you can email us at itstilllives at foxfire.org, tweet us at itstilllives, the number one, follow us on Facebook or Instagram at foxfire.org, or just check out our website and see the other resources that we'll have available on our blog, and that's www.foxfire.org podcast. Um, Thank you for your continued listening and support, and we hope that you all are enjoying the start of the summer in a safe and healthy way, and we'll be back in the first week of July with a a full-length episode. So my name is Dakota Brown. I am the Education Director at the Museum of the Cherokee, um, and I am an enrolled citizen in the Eastern Band of Cherokee. So our museum started in It started much earlier, but the museum that's here now started in um, 1976. Um, Originally, it was privately owned. Um, It is now board-ran, and it's a 5013C nonprofit. And we have um, one main exhibit area. The main exhibit um, begins with our stories, and then goes into some archaeology, um, and then into some history as well. Um, But... The museum is kind of a brief overview of Cherokee history. Um, And then we do have a changeable exhibit space. um, And right now there's an exhibit in there called the Many Faces exhibit. um, And it's a mask exhibit on the Cherokee mask culture. So when did you first learn about the coronavirus? So I think I started hearing about it, honestly, on social media. Um, And... It was mostly through jokes. So then I started reading news articles about it, and um, I don't have, like, like regular TV <laughs> at my house. So I c- 
couldn't watch the news, but I I just started reading a lot of news articles about it, and it was when it was um, still just in China. It was probably at the beginning of the year or so, end of last year, I guess. Here in Cherokee, there was a a pretty – I feel like they responded fairly quickly. Um, they were getting a lot of pressure, I know, from different people. They were getting a lot of phone calls. Like our, our representatives, um, our chief and council, they were getting a lot of phone calls from the people um, about what kind of response they were going to have. And I think everybody was kind of um, on board to do something like pretty – aggressive and so um, what they decided to do was to shut down everything shut down our casino shut down um, the tribal offices and close the borders because um, Cherokee has tons of tourists come here every day and and we were just getting into the tourist season when when it kind of um, when all this kind of happened and so um, they decided to shut down shut down the borders and only let um, residents and enrolled members onto the boundary. Um, so I I think that was pretty, I mean, I think that was a pretty aggressive uh, approach. Um, and then they also shut down anything that was uh, tourist-based. So like our museum was shut down as well. But we had actually decided to shut down right before, like a few days before they had decided to close the boundary. But because my mom, so my mom, she lives on the boundary, but she lives in Snowbird, and Snowbird's an hour away from Cherokee. So my mom actually could not get, my sister does live on the boundary, and she could not come to my sister's house because she was, she's not an enrolled member, so she could get it to her house in Snowbird, but she couldn't get here to Cherokee. So anytime we had to, uh, reach her it was kind of difficult because um they had also closed graham county's borders um and so my sister she doesn't have anything with our address in graham county so there was this basically my sisters couldn't go to graham county and my mom couldn't come to cherokee so there was a lot of like meeting that had to be done if we needed to see our mom at at no point i don't think at any point in time uh my family was like angry about that we were just glad that they were doing that I guess we were very happy that they had closed closed Graham County and we were very happy that they closed the boundary and so I don't think at any point in time we were like oh this is awful I hate this I wish they would open back up I think we were just like oh well we got to do what we got to do kind of thing can you speak to some of the reasons for why they took such aggressive actions I know specifically that part of it was the threat to the language and the importance of elders can you just kind of speak to some of that as you know, our language is endangered. Um, we have very few fluent speakers, and there's plenty of reasons for that. One of the main reasons is um, BIA education, boarding school education. Not just It's really not just boarding school education. It really is BIA education. Um, and the way that they systematically um, – disconnected us from our language mm-hmm. and so there's a uh, there's this huge older population um both here in Cherokee but a, a lot of them are in Snowbird in my community really small population of uh, fluent speakers and there's a huge population um of EBCI citizens that don't speak Cherokee and are maybe desperately trying our language is held right now with our with our elders with you know our older population. Um, so if something were to happen to, the, to them, 
um, our language would die. So, um, and right now there's a ton of people that are working to try to save it, but it's really hard. It's a really hard language to learn if it's not your first language. It doesn't work anything like um, English. Like it's completely different from English, and most of the people here are English speakers. Um, and so it's a really hard language to learn, and so it's not. It hasn't been like an easy task to try to bring the language back and try to have people learn it and create fluent speakers and things like that. And also, our society just is kind of set up for us to speak English now, um, and that was that was systematic as well. So even people that are really really trying to learn, um, it can be hard for them because our society doesn't function that way. Mm-hmm. So language is a huge issue right now. Um, but also just like cultural culture in general, if this like elder population were to, to something to happen to them um, and we were to lose them, then we also lose a ton of information because a lot of our traditions are still passed on orally. Um, there's a lot of things that aren't in books and it's because one, we just kind of didn't ever do that. Um, we didn't write things down in books. And then um, even with our, our written language now, the syllabary and all that kind of stuff, we still don't really write down anything in our language or write down any parts of our culture. It's very rare that you see, um, like, a book talking about, like, native culture written by a native person. Um, so there's a lot of information that's not out there. Um, that's really still passed down orally. Um, and so if we were to lose that older population and we were to lose our elder population, then we would lose a lot. Um, and that's scary. It's it's really, really scary. And there's like words like extinction that comes to mind that I don't think that most other Americans have to think about um, because then our language goes extinct, our culture goes extinct, and because we are, we do have such a small population, if it were to hit us really hard, um, you know, I've heard many of my friends talk about we could go extinct. And so the the idea of extinction makes us approach it maybe more aggressively than um, than most people would. Right now, I think we're just focusing on, like, getting through what we've got to get through. Um, And so there's also, like, there is all this stuff going on, but then there's also, like, all these financial aspects that we have to look at for our museum and and how we're going to pay employees. Like, that was was one of the biggest things that we had to look at first is how we were going to pay our employees or if we were going to be able to pay our employees during our closure because the museum was closed for two months. We've heard some rumors that they might, because we've had – since we've opened back up, we've had some new cases, and um, our cases were very, very low for a really long time. So we've heard some rumors that they're thinking about shutting everything down again. Um, and if that's the case, um, although I think it's on one hand great because it's like this protection for our community, but um, on the other hand, there's like you know financially, I don't know how long we're going to be able to keep going like we're going um, if we have everything shut down because we are our economy is based off of tourism. Because we are um, a part of the federal government, we're domestic dependent is our um, actual title and role um, with the United States. So uh, we are a part of the United States, so we are able, and we do have have always had a relationship with the federal federal government for good or for good or bad, um, and so 
um, yes, we, we definitely can um, apply for federal assistance. Um, state gets a little, it can get a little, um, you know, up in the air. I guess it depends on, like, if if you can um, go by, like, the county that you're in kind of thing. Um, but definitely federal assistance has been applied for through, I know a lot of businesses, and I know that the museum applied for federal assistance and things like that as well to pay their employees. The other businesses in the community, I would imagine that they're being hit pretty hard um, because a lot of them are small, small businesses, privately owned, um, and they're based off the tourist industry. So, and this is supposed to be our busy time. This is supposed to be our busy season. Um, I know that the museum itself is seeing about 80% less people come through the door right now, um, and it's and that's since we've opened. So we've been back open for about three weeks now. Um, and so, yeah, I would imagine that some of these smaller businesses are getting hit hit pretty hard. Um, some of them, you know, most of them had to stay closed. The only ones that, the only thing that we had open here in this community was restaurants. And mainly here in the community, we have fast food restaurants. We don't have any, uh, we have very few dine-in restaurants. So um, a lot of the restaurants, um, kind of shifted to to go the the ones that were dine in only uh, they shifted um to to go like most places um and then we had our of course our fast food um our fast food restaurants available <laughs> so um and then our grocery store they did do something kind of unique with a grocery store so um at first prior to the closure um the the chief um worked with our grocery store um, to make sure that there was like hours that our elders could only come. So I forget what the hours were. I want to say it was from like 9 to 11 or something like that in the morning that only our elders could shop there. Nobody else could shop there at that during that time. Um, and so they, they did make that um, decision pretty early on or they were able to work out that deal pretty early on. And then um, once everything closed down, only we had access to the to the grocery stores. It was either residents or enrolled members had access to that grocery store. Um, and since we've opened back up, that has been one thing that's stayed the same. So um, only enrolled members are allowed to shop at that grocery store right now. Um, and I guess the idea is, is some of our elder community, the only time that they really like get out and leave their house is to go to the grocery store. Um, and so if it's only our enrolled members there, it kind of lessens their risk. They've also started testing. Um, they started testing, doing drive-through testing here um, pretty quickly. So um, right after the closure or maybe right before the closure, they started doing drive-through testing. They kind of limited testing to people that they wanted, if you had symptoms, to go get tested. But that changed pretty quickly um, to where they decided that they wanted everybody to get tested and at least at least one person in every household was supposed to be tested just to try to catch anybody that's, that was asymptomatic. And actually a lot of the people that did test positive out of the few that we had that tested positive, a lot of them were asymptomatic. Um, so it was probably good that they did that. <laughs> but they opened it up to everybody and now they encourage anybody to go get tested. And my my work is requiring us to get tested every two weeks. The opening of the Smokies always has, you know, a huge impact on our tourism here. I mean, that's that's how our tourism industry started here in Cherokee, um, is, be, is because of the Smokies. 
So um, there's definitely people everywhere. I mean, I say people everywhere. Comparative to last summer at this time, it's very slow. But um, but we're used to it being just us here for like for you know a good a good little while. So it there hasn't been anybody on the roads. They're just it's it's just been you know community members and people around and now there's there is people just like driving around everywhere so yeah it always has a huge impact on us and they we've been getting um a lot of tourists so on one hand it's good cuz we've got a lot of people coming through um and you know people going into businesses and people doing things like that and then on the other hand like none of them are wearing masks none of them are you know we don't know where they've come from and and you know how closely they're following what guidelines or, you know, I don't know. And, and so that's been one of the complaints here in the community here recently is that we've got all these people coming in here and none of them, like we'll go into a store or something like that or go into our coffee shop. And if it's a tourist, they're not wearing a mask. They're not, we are, but they aren't. And so I guess there's a little frustration from some of the community members right now about, yeah, the amount of people that are coming in and the the fact that they're not really following you know, what we're trying to follow to keep everybody safe. We have like a love hate relationship with with the with the tourist industry here. Um so I think for the community members personally they're probably gonna be pretty excited if if tourism just kind of like <laughs> isn't happening this summer. But then from a financial standpoint it's gonna be it's gonna have a huge impact on our community. Our main source of income is our casino, and it funds all of these tribal programs and all of these tribal jobs. So that's one of the things that I worry about this summer is, you know, how is this, how is our busy season, us being so slow during our busy season, going to affect us financially? Um, and are people going to be able to feed their families and pay for their homes and do those kinds of things um, because a lot of them do have tribal jobs and a lot of them do work at the casino. Um, my mother works at the casino. So so that does kind of worry me. And I think that that's definitely one of the biggest impacts is like how, how this is going to affect our community financially. And I do think it's made our um, tribal government kind of look at things a little bit differently. They've been talking a long time, a long time about diversifying our, our economy um, and I think that maybe this has proved to them even more so that that's, that's definitely necessary, that we need to be um, making some, like, aggressive moves to diversify our economy. So that way we're not relying solely on the casino and solely on our tourism here in this community. Do you feel that there has been any positive outcome of having to shut down your community to outsiders? I guess one of the positives in my life, and I saw it for a lot of other people as well, is that option to work from home. Um, I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people were, were doing that. Um, and I just, found, I just found that I was so much more productive. I was so much more happier. I was in my sweatpants. I was, it was great to work from home. I absolutely loved working from home. And so I think that for me, I see that the 40 hour, like, work week structure, um, where you're having to, like, work 40 hours a week in an office, um, that kind of, idea is kind of outdated it's not really necessary anymore because we have internet because we have um, tools like you know google docs and things like that where we can collaborate very easily Um, so i think that it's kind of outdated i think the 40-hour like in-office work week is just really outdated and for me 
to be able to be at home and like work on my porch and like listen to my creek was very therapeutic and very relaxing. And I got so much work done. I got so much work done from home. Um, and so I think that that was a positive for me. And then also the school closing down affected a lot of families. Um, and they had their kids with them all the time for the first time probably ever. And, and so I grew up, you know, in a family, we were homeschooled um, and my parents owned their own business. So we were together all the time. Me and my family were were together all the time. And um, it was, for the most part, really healthy and really great and really positive. And so I saw some of the, some of the families that were, you know, homeschooling their kids for the first time and doing things like that. And the ways that they chose to allow their children to learn were kind of amazing. They would, like, take them outside and do things with them outside, and they would um, – focus on different things than they probably would have when they were, than they would have gotten from their, you know, public school education. Um, So I don't know. I think that that's really positive. I think that like families coming together um, and being together more and having that time, because it almost feels like we kind of put our kids into like work, like right away. Like they're having to go for like these long periods throughout the day and work all day. Um, and then we're doing the same thing that it was kind of nice to see these families just like, I don't know, come together and do things together. Um, so I think that that was one of the biggest, most positive things that probably could have come from this. I know that some of them are wanting to like pull out their hair, <laughs> but, um, but I think in the long run, it was probably really some really invaluable time for them. Sometimes I wish people would just do things just in Casey's, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, I'm going to wear my mask and I'm going to wash my hands. Like, does it really hurt people to, like, wear a mask and, like, wash your hands? Like, um, just in case. You know, that's kind of how I I kind of have to approach everything. And I wish people would, would kind of um, stop with the contradict contradictions constantly um, and maybe just, like, wear your mask and wash your hands. Like, you know, maybe do those things uh, because – there are people that are being affected by this. And I know my community is extremely lucky because we were um, financially able to shut down for the time that we, we were able to. Um, And it, and it made it so that we did not have these huge numbers, but I know other native communities that are really struggling right now um, that they aren't able, their, their borders work differently or, um, they don't have as much resources as we have. Um, and so they're really, really struggling and they're really having a hard time. I actually know, because um, it's not just the elders that are affected by this. It's not just the the young children. It's, it's everybody. And I actually knew um, a young man that passed away from the virus just about a week ago or a week and a half ago. Um, and so, and he was like this really amazing young man that was super interested in his culture. He, he spoke his language fluently. He um, was learning his songs and his dances, and he knew so, so much already at such a young age. I don't know where he would have taken that because he was just already just so knowledgeable, and he carried so much knowledge, and he passed away like a, a week and a half ago. And so then that kind of that cuts that off, right? And there's not like a ton of young people that have that kind of passion for their culture. So that was really sad for me and for my family to see this, like, young man that was 
so interested in his culture and learning so much and so intelligent culturally that um, that he's gone. Um, and then that whole, everything what he was doing is gone now. Um, and so I just hope that people, if, if in case, just if, just in case he's, it might help to to do these things. I just wish people would do them um, because I see how they're affecting other Native communities, and it's scary. 